Computer, initialize Holosuite. special episode of the fire caves a star trek deep space nine podcast i'm one of your hosts perry and i'm your host david tonight we're just gonna have some fun talking about star trek and uh, other things going on as a kind of mid-cool episode between seasons two and three so we hope you enjoy us just chatting for a little bit today that is correct. It's going to be a bit more of a recap of where we stand between uh, Seasons 1, 2, and going into 3, and also a special tribute to a legendary icon, Fortrek, who recently passed away. So stay tuned and hope you enjoy us and enjoy what we have to say tonight. But before we get into all that, David, how was your week? It's been fine. Uh, work has been good. It was uh, one of those days where it was you know, one of those unexpectedly good days. Um which always makes you just feel good. You know, you just, you know, have a little pep in your step. You know, things are going a little better than you anticipated, so you can feel confident. You know, things are going well. Um, the Texas weather has been brutally hot. And the today I stepped outside. I think it was today. It was yesterday. I stepped outside briefly. Like, I could smell rain in the air. I was like, oh, come on. You just got to fall. Just got to come down. But it's supposed to rain later this week, apparently. Well, I'm looking forward to that because it's been a little bit since we've had some rain here in Texas. Oh, yeah. So a couple of things. So yesterday it did rain and it was like this just cloud burst. And it was right around like 630 and it didn't last more than maybe 20 minutes, at least in my area. But I mean, it was an absolute downpour. And uh, (laughs) yeah, and it was it was great because like on the one hand, I was kind of like you, like I could smell rain in the air. I knew it was going to happen. And I was so excited because it's been so hot. You know, but then when it ended, like the rain came and ended, moved on, whatever. And then it just, if anything, it seems like it made everything hotter. It was just muggy and gross and you were just, I I don't know, it was just awful. And I was like, I almost wish it hadn't rained. (laughs) It wasn't long enough. Essentially, that's what it was. It just didn't rain long enough to really cool the area. And so then everything was rapidly, you know, evaporating and everything else. So you just had this weird mugginess. Yeah. In the heat. Yeah. I was like, oh man, we really, I mean, we needed it, but at the same time, we need, we need so much more. We oh, I know. So much more. Yeah. I drive past one of the dams uh, here in Austin. Um, and uh, every time I look over it into the lake, I can see little islands appearing where they shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. That shouldn't be an island right there. That should be way under, under the water level. You can see it's like 10 plus feet lower than it should be. Um, it's kind of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> looking out at well, it. Well, we're not the only ones. I, you know, I keep uh, stayed updated on the uh, stuff going on in Nevada. You know, particularly the Las Vegas area. You know, they were reporting they only had uh, at one point fifty days worth of drinkable water left because, mm. you know, between the severe drought and then the fires that they had and the water used to put out the fires and contaminated what whatever water reservoir they use I think it's like lake mead or something like that it's called right and uh then they just they had nothing so i've just been kind of staying abreast of that situation and it hasn't gotten any better 
at all. Meanwhile, in you know, to the east in Kentucky, right. they've had you know massive amounts of flooding, which also was coupled with a severe drought. So then the wa- the ground was very dry, very packed. So when they finally did get the rain, it really did kind of just sweep through and decimate the area. Unfortunately, a lot of people lost not only their homes but their lives right. over there. So I mean, it's been a very uh tumultuous time to say the least you got right. flooding on one side severe drought on the other side and it's just nothing seems to be meeting up in any sense of the word you know and it's just making things worse right you know so hopefully i know that you said it's supposed to rain um in the coming week hopefully it does and, it'll, right. and it's and it's for longer and yeah. alleviate some of our severe heat and drought of our own that we've got here in this area because we really yeah. we really do need it yeah sure. Yeah, what I saw was something. It just said some rain. It wasn't like a shower, like a like a heavy rain or anything, from what I saw. But you know, a few days out, it's hard to tell what it'll be when it actually comes. Hopefully, right. it'll be a little more, you know, heavy than the initial things I saw. But um, other than that, other thing for me is you know we're thinking of moving. We went and looked at the place today, just to kind of check it out. I already started packing up some of my things last week. Uh, so all of my DVDs and Blu-rays are packed away and some of my books are packed away. Still got a lot more to do, but you know, got to take it. I want to take it, in, you know, in, in steps, you know, make sure that every week I have some portion of it done so that by the time things actually roll around and it's actually time to move, I've already got a lot of that taken care of. So gotcha. yeah, other than that, uh, watching Westworld been watching some, uh, the uh, only murders in the building. So I'm happy okay. to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but anything else yeah. to do with you? Or I really haven't asked you yet. No, well, it seems like I'm watching everything but Westworld. It, <laughs> it's like every every time that I I think I'm gonna watch it, something else pops up. So it's literally like I'm just like you know cherry picking all around <laughs> and, and and not watching it. Right. Um, so I'm like, no, you just gotta stop it and commit yourself. I really wish I hadn't fallen asleep that first time because I think that's where my block lies. Because it's like my brain is like, it didn't hook you even in 15 minutes. Like you didn't make it. So right. it's keeping me from from doing it. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Um, other than that, I've been helping out with other family matters a lot. You know, my family's had some health things that have come up for extended family members. So I've been trying to you know be a little bit more hands on. With them uh, these past few weeks, really, um, do it's a double duty, you know, do my own job during the day and then go uh, to work with my family after that at night. Um, thankfully, there's not too many days where that overlaps, but man, when that happens, totally wipes me out. Right. Then, of course, we've got school is going to be starting up again. I'm going to have, you know, my, my kid will be in the second grade. You know, so we were trying to knock out all the major things here at the, you know, first of the month I was doing you know, not just all the regular bills and nothing to be paid, but we also had to do, you know, back to school shopping and clothes shopping and shoes shopping and all the shopping. Right. And I was just like determined to get it all done. I wanted everything done and paid for. I was like, I don't want to have to worry about this again. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, let's let's knock these things out now so that the, you know money can go to other stuff. I don't want to be piecemealing it and everything. Right. Um, I will say that I did find it a bit difficult this year going to do um, back to school shopping. Like, and it's not like I have a whole lot of experience. Again, my kids only go into the second grade, but normally they give you like a list, you know, and teachers ask, you know, the kids have certain items or whatever. This year, there's been no list. 
And normally, like like last year, I got it, and it was they sent in an email, and they sent it like month, like I don't know, they sent it like May, like school was still in session for them. I don't know if they were just doing it because that was going to be her first year in, and they were giving me stuff early or what. Right. But this year, there has been nothing, no communications. I finally had to go and like dig through on the school's website, and they have like a standing order of stuff that they right. feel kids need for whatever grade they're in. Right. Now, most teachers will then, I guess they do like a more specific list that they'll send home or whatever. But I just kind of went with that standard stuff. And I was like, we'll get anything else unless it's like 100% necessary, like right off the bat. We'll get those other things that they send home for later. But for now, we're covered according to what the website said. Right. So I'm glad for that. My kid's glad for that. Um, hopefully we can have a very seamless, easy year. No lice, COVID, nothing. You know, just <laughs> go through the school year and be done. Right. Um, but that's really what I'm looking forward to the most. And then just getting her back on a regular routine and enjoying school life and stuff again. That's about it. So. Yeah, lice, man. You said lice. Yeah, I remember. Sure, I got it like once or twice as a kid. You know, you got to. Your mom, like, combs through your hair, through, you know, gets it all out. Oh, man, those were experiences. <laughs> I will take your word for it. I was always ridiculously close-cropped yeah. as a kid, so lice was never a factor for me. I just, right. I didn't have the hair to do it. My mom was always, you know, very much the boys have the high and tight hair or very, or very low cut. Like, I wear my hair. I wear my hair. I'm essentially... <laughs> bald now by choice i shave my head and i do right. it about you know once a week or whatever right um but yeah that's i've just always maintained this so it's never been an issue so now my daughter of course full head of hair uh, we actually you know did her whole hair treatment and stuff too and her hair is surprisingly long i always forget because typically it kind of just bunches up and we'll do like braids or something like that so it doesn't really it's not i never really see it long but right. then after it got, you know, combed and blow dried and all this stuff, her hair was actually down to her, like the middle of her back. And I was like, when wow. did your hair get so long? <laughs> I was like, I, I just, how did I miss that? And it's like, oh, well, yeah, I just never see it that way. So it's right. just, it didn't occur to me. Yeah. But I was thankful. I was like, hey, that just means that, you know, you're, you're growing, your hair's growing. I'm not poisoning you. Your hair's not falling out. Yeah. It's getting long. That's what I was looking at. I was like. It means I'm doing a good job. I always get worried, like, because I have no experience. So I'm always worried that I'm going to do something wrong and mess her up or whatever. So just seeing that, I was like, oh, thank God. We're, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, oh, kids. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about kids and storms and drought and so forth. We are here to talk about Star Trek. Um, in particular, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So, right. um, real quick, how are you feeling about the show? Because this is your first time watching um, Deep Space Nine and coming from Next Generation, and now here we are at the end of Season 2. What are your thoughts on this show? Yeah, I would say, uh, first off, just a general statement, I can understand why Star Trek, both Deep Space Nine and TNG, and I, I haven't watched the original series, so I'm just sticking with those two. Um, why they were popular in their day. Um, I know DC 9 didn't have the popularity of TNG, and I can see why. Again, I, I feel like TNG, because the cast was all on the same ship, and they were all part of the same crew, 
and they were all doing a kind of mission of the week type scenario. It was just easier to kind of just get it going. It's more easy going on that in that level. Uh, Deep Space Nine is is trying a more nuanced story, and that makes it more difficult to get uh, some of that easy going uh, camaraderie that the that TNG got. Um, so yeah, I, TNG was great. Really enjoyed it. Now again, I watched TNG within the space of several months because I was you know blowing through it in preparation for us doing the show, and now I'm watching these uh, Space Nine as one episode at a time. So sometimes it's kind of hard to compare my experience a bit because it's like I was watching the TNG characters like two episodes a night, like they were going through stuff. They were experiencing things. And like the last couple seasons I felt were really good. They really hit their stride. They really knew what they were. And when I think back on the first two seasons of TNG, they had some rough patches that they, again, Mm -hmm. worked out. Um, And I feel like D Space Nine being in its second season as we just finished it, it's still got some rough patches. Um, I feel like from what you tell me, like it's going to work those patches out, especially. Oh yeah. I feel like maybe what's going on is right now, the first two seasons of D space nine had T and G hanging over it the whole time. And so while D space nine was getting going, T and G was in its heyday. And so it was the little, you know, black sheep of the family. It was the, the, the awkward stepchild kind of where, the, the older son, if you will, is getting all the attention and the younger child uh, is is doing okay, but isn't getting quite the same love. Uh, and so once TNG yeah. finally is now done, it's mm-hmm. now in the past, I feel like that would make sense that D Space Nine is going to gonna start getting all of the loving that, uh, that it kind of needs and deserves to really, um, I feel like, congeal. Like, yeah. I feel like there's a, con- we need to, so, so waiting for the kind of congealing nature of the yeah. show to happen. Um, yeah. That's Go a ahead. good point. That's a good point. I think that we're actually reaching that now with season three. And the reason is because just like you said, next generation has just wrapped. Um, now they have been uh, at the same time they're working on and the release of the very first next generation movie, which is, you know, titled generations is around this time window right so while all this is in production and everything else the only star trek that was available at the time was deep space nine so there's definitely i think i feel i feel like you will see the mood change in this season okay how it opens and the pacing and the feel of the characters even like we've gotten a lot of information about the characters and that's one thing i really appreciate the most about deep space nine we didn't have to infer a whole lot we're getting the characters literally from their beginning like we know cisco is coming from this you know he's kind of been in a in a weird you know almost like a fugue state he was he's not been on a ship anywhere after the saratoga and wolf 359 he's kind of just been you know drifting around doing whatever while he's trying to consider his next move and so now we're seeing him on the station we see Bashir and Dax arrive at the same time and they're both kind of fresh out of the academy despite the fact that Dax has you know, a little bit more to her than right. than just being a 28-year-old science officer. Um, Kira's the same. She, they've, from all looks of it, they've just finished with their rebellion and kicking the Cardassians off, and she's still very much, you know, enraged from all of this and is trying to, you know, also find her place and everything. The only character that we meet initially who seems 
stable, I'll say, uh-huh. comfortable in their role, is O'Brien. And where is O'Brien coming from? The Enterprise. Right. Where, you know, so that easy handoff transition for him makes sense, whereas everybody else is just chaos. Right. And so then we move, of course, through season one, season two, finding out a lot about a lot of our characters, not so much about certain ones. Dax. Right. Just keep throwing you out there. Dax, you just kind of linger a bit. <sighs> um, but but then we move into season three where it's like, okay, we've we've now understood this about them, and now we're getting into kind of their I guess who they really are. Like who, This is them on a day-to-day. Instead of trying to figure out all these little quirks about them anymore, we've got all that essentially taken care of, and now we can get into moving their storylines forward. Right. And so I think that's what you're going to start to see more in, in season three, and I think you'll enjoy it more, too. And, I, and again, I want to be, be clear that I feel like TNG was, was doing that as well. Like we were, oh, it turns out that Riker and Troy were a couple at one point, and, you know, that, that whole storyline is always just kind of on and off. Um, so, like, it's not like we always felt like we like had a solid bearing on who Riker is. Uh, we had that episode where Riker, like, we meet, like, an alternate version of him from the past. Like, the one, the version of him that got stuck on a planet because the... Ah, uh, yes, Thomas Riker. Yeah, who got stuck there. Dude. And, uh... The transporter like... beams weirdly bounced down part of the signal, so... Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting idea. Um, I always felt like they should have done more with that character. They should have made that more of a character. Um, but they never did. Um, they never followed up with like, oh, how's the other version of Riker doing out there? Uh, and he was always, he was also a little too well conditioned for a guy who was alone for seven years. <laughs> yeah, he he was definitely, um, uh, yeah, a bit more heavy set than you would expect for a person who was scrounging for life for eight years <laughs> on this planet. Yeah, you know. Right, uh, and I get it, you know, because it's obviously the same actor having to pull double duty there, so you can't, you know. Right, of course. But it's like, yeah, you guys, I don't know, you should have done a little bit more on the shadowing or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's you actually. Know, of, no, I'm sorry. Finish, finish up, finish up. Well, in my opinion, he should have looked older because yeah, it was rugged, was, ragged. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. he'd been living a hard life, scrounging for parts and whatever else that he could on this ship that had like no you know very little reserves and everything else and granted he's the only one you know there so all the supplies that would have been for like a crew or whatever would have been for just one person so yeah certain things would have lasted him a while but the way he looked overall i still feel like he should have been he should have appeared older i would have been okay with him having a thicker beard that was maybe a dark black graying in spots yes, whatever patchy instead of then, yeah. yeah instead of it being so you know spot on full whatever yeah. I'm like, yeah come on yeah, yeah. See, yeah so but i mean you know that was that's just kind of how things were done then and you know i'm glad to see that in later trek whenever we deal with doppelgangers they kind of they do better well actually that's why, I, actually why i brought it up in part is because i think the kira attendant character was a more unique character of Kira yeah. than like that version of Riker, who was supposed to be the literally the same guy, but like on a different path. Whereas of the attendant Kira was like a totally different person who just had the same face. <laughs> right. Like, um, their entire, their, they were, they were the same people cause they were, cause it was, it's the whole universe difference, but yes. their experiences in those universes also shaped and changed who they were. So that, yeah, essentially 
despite face, they were completely right. different. Yeah. Good um, old intendant Kara. Yeah, yeah. She um she definitely made her mark on a lot of people. <laughs> definitely you mentioned made that her mark. last time. You mentioned that oh. last time. Yes, oh, this is not not the last time we see the intendant. Ah, but, uh, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, really, get, yeah. They they make that character from the first moment she appears on screen, she is a very different version of our Kira. Oh, I yeah, give Nana Visitor some major props on that yeah. one. Because it's just like I, the range she had to display and also still portray her core character right in the same thing was was amazing yeah well and it was vastly different i wonder about that sometimes like today like was there just a full day day and a half where you were just the intendant and then you, like, <laughs> yeah exactly because i couldn't right. imagine having to do bounce bouncing back and forth yeah Gosh. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned before, you know, like in college I did some theater and the thing I learned was like, you got to just commit to the part. Like you, you don't hold back. You make it, you make a decision about how the character is and how they talk and walk and all that. And uh, you commit to that. And I feel like a character, like the attendant version of Kira really lets an act actor or actress just kind of let loose. Like they're just full out. The personality is not apologetic in any way. Our Kira, she has to kind of hold herself back sometimes. You know, she's she's passionate, but she has to control her passion. So it was fun to see her uh, Nana Visitor really get a chance to like go full, just just you know Kira as if she had no holds barred. Um, oh yeah. And I, I love it when Cisco does the same thing when um, we get to see Cisco in his like he's he's the controlled rage, but when he when he really like lets you have it. Um, he's always great. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, and I was going to say, Armin Shimmerman, you know, you, you mentioned that O'Brien is a character that came from TNG because Armin Shimmerman is Quark. You know, he got a chance to kind of learn the Ferengi as a, a character actor on the TNG side of things. He mm-hmm. also gets to uh, enter the character of Quark and, like, go, start running. Like, he, he, he has just been, from the get-go, Quark from the beginning. There's no... I mean, as, as we've mentioned before, in season one, it's like the first half of season one gave Quark a lot of some of the best episodes, and they had to like pull back in the Quark second half Kira. of season one. Well, Quark I feel like Kira, Kira. I feel like Kira. It was like she got more of the good episodes in the second half of the first season, and it was Quark who got most of the good ones in the first half. And it's not, it's not. There was a flat cutoff between those two things. I'm, I'm just saying, it feels like it was balanced in that sense. Okay. Um, and, you know, Bashir has grown in this season, season two. You know, in the first season, he was a naive, kind of annoying character. This season, he definitely still kind of rubs you the wrong way, but he's a little more self-aware. He's a little more, uh, not as naive. He doesn't take Garrick uh, at his at his face value nearly as much, for example. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like T and, uh, I'm sorry, D Space Nine, uh, D in Nine, doesn't go off the tongue quite the same way, does it? Um, it 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 has set itself up for uh, season three. If we can really, I guess what I really want is I I would really love the idea of like the outer threats, the Dominion or the Cardassians, or just I want I want some pressure put on our cast to really, you know, solidify their their roles together. I want all of the cast to really have to solve a problem together. Um, I, you know, I, when I, we first started, I said I really liked episodes where like one character has a character episode. It's like it's focused on one character, and that one character gets a lot of the action and a lot of the storytelling. 
And we've had a few of those, but now I feel the other way. I really want an episode where I really feel like everyone got to solve a piece of the puzzle. Um, everyone's role was really important for solving whatever the problem is. Uh, I feel like we haven't really gotten there. Uh, you know, like the, the bridge on TNG was just, you know, a place where action took place. You know, uh, the characters had to, to be, you know, diplomats across the screen with other races and ops for D Deep Space Nine, I feel, unfortunately, is a letdown in comparison to the bridge that TNG has. Because okay. it's a smaller screen. Yeah. It's, it's 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 smaller space. Like if they would just give us the same size screen as the as the bridge on, on the Enterprise, they would solve all those problems right away. It would just make it imp you know imp impressive and, 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 and imposing. And if if things do happen, we can feel it like in the same same visceral way that we did uh, on the bridge of, of the Enterprise. I feel like that's the area that I'm missing the most from comparing to TNG okay. is the feeling like not a lot of action happens in ops where they're having to like figure out a kind of dangerous situation or negotiate something. Um, a lot of action takes place in our for our crew in Cork's Bar or a promenade. Yeah, the, uh, that's exactly it. The promenade is 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 the equivalent to the bridge yeah. in terms of where all the action happens in Deep Space Nine, which is different. I mean, we don't, of course, we don't want to copy paste everything. Yeah. Um, well, but, I, I yeah. think that that just goes uh, mainly because I think that was the intention. The promenade was built to be kind of like the set for this show or they knew they were going to have to have other you know other sets and things like that and as the show develops they certainly get others but the promenade was uh designed to be a a focal point for the show it was the largest freestanding set ever created on the paramount lot um and i mean they the work that they did on it was so intricate and detailed and they never really you know ever said it was finished they kept adding and changing things throughout the entire uh, shows run right and it became such a focal point on paramount that it was often used as a place to you know kind of show off what was going on mm -hmm. on the paramount set if you came on and you did tours or you were some kind of hot shot or whatever you got to go through the promenade it was a fully you know realized working uh, space set yeah. you know yeah working space and i always thought that that was very interesting that they would go to that detail for it, considering, you know, all the other shows, you know, the original series, Next Generation, they were famous for their, you know, you know, tear down sets, those break apart sets, quickly refurbished, kit bashing, whatever you want to call it, right. to maneuver it to do something else for the very next episode. Right. Nothing was permanent. Even the bridge of the Enterprise did not stay the same, despite, right. you know, it kind of looking looking that it did it really didn't there were a lot of changes to it that had to do with spacing and actor availability and materials and it was much to their detriment because you know once that show was over and considering how um you know the popularity of the show how much it had taken it off a lot of that stuff that they had for those sets couldn't be used again because it just it had never been intended to be there for long right so it it broke down easily. It needed a lot of repairs and maintenance that just wasn't very cost effective. And ultimately they had to scrap a whole lot of it. And then even the parts that were rebuilt for the movie generations, again, didn't last long. So when it was <laughs> over with, you know, and so it was just interesting because, you know, a lot of these things ended up going into, you know, auctions and everything like that. I can remember, you know, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, 
Right. Um, Christie's Auction House did a massive auction for a lot of Star Trek memorabilia, and a lot of it was the Enterprise uh, D, the bridge set. And the stuff just, I mean, it looked bad. I mean, people still bought it because it was a part of the show. Right. But a lot of it was just not in good condition at all. And it had nothing mm-hmm. to do with how it was stored or anything. It just, it had never been built to last. Right. D Space Nine, on the other hand, a lot of that stuff was built to last and last and last, and a lot of it is still around and still used on other Star Trek shows. They've incorporated bits and pieces where they could onto other shows and stuff. Enterprise had a lot of TNG, or not TNG, but D Space Nine bits and pieces. Um, I know that I know that Voyager did. Voyager was a redress of a lot of different sets, especially the Federation stuff. Was uh, was used in Voyager, and then I believe that Discovery was also using like you know just certain like light fixtures and things like that that could easily be transplanted, and they you know broke out of mothballs and, and whatever. Right. So um, so if you're an eagle-eyed fan and you're watching any of those, I'm sure you can spot some Deep Space Nine accoutrements floating around, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I and I. I I have sorry. I love the Cardassian architecture. I've said this before. I love the dark draconian structures that are then juxtaposed with the very ornate Bajoran artistry and stuff that they have. Like the two cultures clash and yet work so well together. At least architecturally. I'm not going right. to say anything about their people, but their designs fit each other, complement each other very well. The very warm. Right. Inviting colors of the Bajorans and then the harshness of the um, Cardassian stuff. I love it. Right. I absolutely love it. It's my favorite aesthetic that has come in Star Trek to date. So I feel like I would like a lot of the Klingon stuff, but they hide all of the design <laughs> of Klingon stuff under under Deep this layer. Of, <laughs> right, this layer of grime. And like even when they film on on Klingon sets and everything like that, there's always this weird foggy haze like they couldn't quite get the atmospheric scrubbers right like there's this weird grossness (laughs) that's in everything that i just don't like i'm like just once i would love for them to show a ship or a building or something that didn't have this weird red haze filtering through everything you know it's as you say that i just think you know the idea that the uh, klingons have multiple organs as redundancies like maybe they have multiple lungs because like a set of lungs closes itself off to the to the bad air on on the Klingon homeworld. So they breathe with one set of lungs until those lungs are saturated with the foggy nastiness, and then the other set of lungs kick in and like they breathe through those for a bit or something. I don't know. I'm just talking out loud. I mean, <laughs> what a terrible way to give yourself like double cancer. Because I mean, <laughs> the lungs are still going to be the lungs are still the lungs. They can't process the stuff. I would assume. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The Klingons do have a lot of redundancies. I don't know about their lungs, their lung capacity or whatever, but yeah, they uh, I think they would still suffer. I just I don't know if that's just like done for effect or done because whomever was filming the scenes was like, you know what, we didn't develop this wall very well, so let's just throw a foggy smoke haze in there and we're good. But yeah, I just I haven't seen enough basically of intricate Klingon architecture to have a true appreciation for it or not. We've seen a lot of Cardassian stuff. We've seen a lot of Bajoran stuff. I like it. I like the way the Federation stuff looks. It's very clean, very streamlined. It does get to be a bit boring 
because everything starts to look the same. Um, but it's still nice. I like right. the futuristic look for human stuff, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, that all those don't bother me. I wish I just wish we could see more. Eventually, we'll see more. We get to see the Ferengi homeworld soon. That's oh. an interesting, interesting setup too. So wow. uh, when we get there, okay, nice. We'll see what you think? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, talking about Cardassian architecture brings up you know the station, of course. And I was thinking about you know, I wish the station was more a hub for Federation activity. I feel like uh-huh. we get enough of alien races briefly visiting it, uh, mostly in the background. Every now and then we get you know a unique situation. But you know, if the idea is that this is a you know Deep Space Nine is a kind of outer hub for activity for the Federation now, whether it's on the Cardassian border or not, I, like, the fact that we didn't see a starship at the sh- at the station until the last episode of the season, and like that was the first one I can remember. I mean, I feel like it since the Enterprise it's episode one, though I'm sure I'm wrong. Uh, actually, no, I know I'm wrong because we did have that scientist guy, you know, the one who threw himself into the star um he uh he uh he was there but he wasn't i mean it was a federation ship but it wasn't like a starship um or a or a battle cruiser or any of any sort but anyway what i'm getting at is i I want i wish there was more activity with the federation like if if the idea of deep space nine is that it's a hub uh we can get some of that cross pollination that'd be really interesting like how would you know, like we just had a failed attempt into the the, the gamma quadrant through the wormhole. Like, what about another situation where one of a, fed, a federation ship got into a firefight with some some organization, some alien race, and it it limped back to Deep Space Nine, and now Deep Space Nine is having to, you know, protect both this damaged you know federation ship and hold off an angry civilization. Like I actually, I won't be surprised if that actually happens. We have plenty of seasons left for that to happen, but I, that is something I would want to see. I really want to see Deep Space Nine as a home base for some serious action, some some campaigns even. Um, so yeah. So you will. That's all I can really <laughs> say on that. So you will. Okay. Um, okay. We just have to remember. We have to remember a couple of things. Um, as much as we hear about the importance of bringing Bajor into the Federation fold, this was kind of seen as, as Bashir calls it, the wilderness. This was kind of on the more extreme edge of Federation-patrolled space. They'd also just recently had their own war with the Cardassians and weren't really looking to muddy those waters too much. So... Cisco's job is to bring Bajor into the fold, but other than that, no one really thinks that this posting is going to be of any kind of particular importance or prominence. You know, it wasn't until the discovery of the wormhole and the implications behind the wormhole that people were like, oh, wait, we've got, there's something else going on here. And we haven't really seen those full implications yet. Remember, what we've just watched at the end of season two is... Finally, something saying to, in my opinion, to Starfleet, there is something here we really need to pay attention to. As far as they were concerned, it was just a quirky, yet another quirky anomaly found in space somewhere. You know how many ships they have out there exploring that come across weird fissures and nebulas and whatever else all the time? So, 
for them to suddenly be like, we need to devote a significant number of resources to this particular area, it would take a lot. And we didn't really get that until the Odyssey shows up, attempts to mount a rescue, and gets destroyed for their troubles. Right. And remember, the Odyssey being a a um, galaxy-class starship was considered one of the top of the line for the Federation. Yeah. So for this ship to suddenly be lost on what was deemed a you know, just a rescue mission, right. a fact-finding mission, right. for it to be lost in such an uh, extravagant manner, too, such a an extreme manner, right. this would be the thing that would be like, yes, we need to pay more attention. These officers out here are going to need more help. We need to understand more of what's going on here. So as we move into the third season, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the response of of the Federation, of Starfleet. Right. As we move through things. Gotcha. Okay, great. But you're great. right. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I can I can see that, you know, it does seem like Cisco and the rest of the the Federation officers on the station anyway, kind of just out there doing yeah. things. Like no yeah. one's there. When you know, Bashir no... <laughs> in episode one was like, We're on the you know, the edge of space, the final frontier, and Kira was like, Hey, shut up already. <laughs> right. Like this is my home. This yeah. wilderness is my home. That's what she says to him. Yeah. And he, you know, kind of chastises him a bit. But I mean Again, he, he is basically right. <laughs> He's parroting what everyone else in Starfleet already thought. Trust me, at least I feel they would not have sent Cisco, who is clearly still suffering from the loss of his wife, who hasn't made any forward commitments in his career in several months. We can at least think that it was at least a year since Wolf 359 when we finally meet up with him again. Right. He hasn't really made any kind of judgments one way or another. They wouldn't send him a first-year doctor just out of medical school, a first-year science officer who's just graduated from the academy, and also just joined as a trill has yeah. finally received her symbiote. All these characters that are you know what? not sure of themselves. You are totally to... right about that. Yeah. You're I right. I don't feel like that... they would send them to this place. Maybe that's part of what the show is kind of missing on some level, is that these characters, only Dax is really expressed to have any sort of you know history because of her symbiote. You know, having... It's only because of the symbiote. It's yeah. only because of the symbiote that she's got any kind of history. Otherwise, they're all new. Yeah, you're, I mean, you actually, you're, that's actually really important because O'Brien doesn't really have much. I mean, Keiko is already with him. Cisco, when we see him meet old friends, like when he met uh, from the Marquis episodes, his friend, was it who is Cal. that? Cal. Cal yeah, Hudson. When, he, when we meet Cal, like that's great. Maybe Dax knew him, and he was. Like, it was fun to see that Cisco had a history. But when you go back to TNG, you know, Picard has a deep history. He was a womanizer. He was a, you know, a star cadet. He was all these things. Architect. Riker had had history as, um, you know, his one, like, his dad comes on. His dad gives him yes. kind of a hard time. Like, And then, of course, we have Troy and her mother with Waxana. <laughs> Waxana is always able to give some characterization to to Troy data had his past with the uh, with the the guy who made him Noonie and Soong. Yeah, Soong, Dr. Soong and I guess only really 
Jordy is the only one I can think of who didn't really have much backstory that I feel like. When he first started, no. When we first meet Jordy, he was an ensign. This was his first posting to a deep space vessel was the Enterprise. Right. But Jordy, we quickly learn a very lot. We a very lot. We learn a lot about very quickly. Right. Um, he is not only a skilled pilot, he's also a skilled engineer. He has a rapid promotion process where he goes from ensign to chief engineer, right. um, achieving that lieutenant commander rank fairly quickly. We don't even see his promotion. It just it just happens, happens. between one and two. <laughs> right. We find out that he's got a sister. We find out that his mother and father are both in Starfleet. His father is a science That's officer. Right. Yeah. His mother is a his mother's a captain whose right. her ship goes missing. You know? Um That's right. Yeah, I mean yeah. we find out a lot about <laughs> about really all of those characters. I mean, Jordy is probably the the one that's whose development and backstory kind of comes later. Right. Everybody else we kind of get in the first couple of seasons, like well, you said. Yeah, and Dr. Crusher, you know, her husband had been a, a Picard's best friend. And I feel right. like we don't get as much from her per se. But, you know, she has, you know, her son. Well, we get know, we get enough Wesley. of her to understand her significance to Picard. Picard, who is obviously gonna be our, our titular star here. Right. You know. Um yeah, yeah, husband was best friend. There's the kid. Is this the love child between Picard and Beverly or not? Because we can, they can clearly see there's something between those two. You know, um, she's a obviously she's a top notch doctor. She wouldn't even be here. You know, Riker wants to impress her. Like there's all these things that we find out in like the first episode, really. Right. Yeah. About pretty much everybody except for yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I think that's actually something like. Akira, we don't have. We've never met her parents. I mean, we can assume they're dead. I assume they're dead, but we don't yeah. have us like. We we'll have, have adoptive parents, the people that she was raised by, or at least people that she grew up around. Like, mm-hmm. who is she when she's not on the station? Kind of. That's. Right. I think maybe that's partly why she and um, Medic Burial don't work because we don't know who she is outside of her position on the station, and therefore when. We have him as the only really outside influence that we really see much of, and that's it. It doesn't have a chance to gel with the rest of her, again, outside of her just being first officer. Um, yeah, man, I hadn't really thought of that yet, but I feel like we really need more – we need to feel like our characters have more backstory, and it would have helped if these characters, as you just pointed out, had already some more seniority. If Dr. Bashir wasn't the young – I mean, him being the young – upcoming Dr. Gibson characterization. But if he was more like a Dr. Crusher character who had seen a few things um, and now was, I don't know, out on the edge of space because he's really earned it, that'd be, that'd be something. Again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, as I'm talking, maybe I'm thinking, maybe that's why they didn't do that. Cause it would have been too Beverly Crusher. It would have been too much like her, but I think you're right though, at the very least that in terms of, you know, it doesn't make sense to send out a green you know, officer, he's still green. Yeah. Uh, he still needs some, like a superior to still make sure he's doing his job properly out on his first real mission. But yeah, we, we could, we could critique it to death, I'm sure. But yeah. yeah. No, I mean, as you said, there's just, there's just so much that is going on with this crew um, trying to really get a hold of themselves Right. Not not only wrestle with their situation and the the emerging situation that they're suddenly thrust in, um, 
that I mean, I feel like a lot of that is lost on people. And when some people are watching this show, I've heard the people, you know, say things like, oh, it doesn't make sense. And the characters, you know, they seem to fight a lot or whatever. I was like, well, again, you have to remember what we've learned about them so far. They are not these polished career officers who have just been habitually moving from posting to posting. And this is all routine for them and whatever. Right. They're not. The only two really experienced officers that we see are Cisco and O'Brien. Yeah. Everybody else is new. Right. Well, and, I guess, and some of them aren't even a part of Starfleet. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, I feel like Odo definitely, we feel like he knows his job and likes his job, but he's also. He's also used to doing his job under a very, a very wildly different set yeah. of constraints and rules yeah you know and so suddenly he has to also be folded into the federation norm yeah and it's very difficult for him at first he even argues we hear him you know untie my hands he says give me the ability to do this and this and this right and i can give you a safe station so he's used to doing things a certain way and suddenly he's being told he can't Right. So he also has to adjust. A lot of adjustments for everybody is basically what we're seeing here, something that we never got to or had to deal with in Next Generation. Right. Right. So, and something I also feel like they tried to duplicate a little bit on Voyager with having to fold officers in because, you know, it's the ship is half Federation, half Maquis, and they've got to figure out a way to, you know, work together. Um, but I also feel like they cheapen themselves by solving that issue in like two episodes. Yeah, that should that should have been at least a two season long or even a recurring conflict throughout the whole run of the show. Right. Um, but no, they were like, nope, you get you get a two parter, and then I need you to wrap this up because we got some <laughs> other things to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I do hope they come back. I mean, it sounds like they do come back on some level. Oh yeah, we're we're not done. We're not okay. done with the monkey. All right. That's all, all right. I'm going to say. We're not done with the monkey. <laughs> so now, um, I did want to tell you because uh, obviously we're moving into season three, and I know that you've been wondering. You know, when do I get to watch Generations? I was looking at it and then thinking about it. Even though Generations would be coming out around now, I don't feel like it would make sense for you storyline wise until we get actually to the end of season three. Need really? to get to yes, because there are some developments with other characters that happen, and of course there is a tie-in of one particular character, um, but that doesn't happen until after that, and there needs to. It I don't feel like it'll make sense to you until you. Okay. Until then. Because so. we had estimated that generations came out somewhere around episode eight of season three of deep space nine you're saying we should wait until at the end of even, season three yes even watch. though that's when the, even when that's when the movie came out and i and i get that even when that's when the movie came out i think timeline wise for everything else that was going on with deep space nine at the time you would need in order to uh, go from Deep Space Nine to that movie and then back into Deep Space Nine for season four. I think that's the arc you need to follow gotcha. in order for it to work. Okay. So right. now it's now it's been a while since I've seen Generations. So I'm also have decided that when the time comes, I'll watch it with you. I have not watched that movie, I think. Since it came I, out, I think is what you're I was gonna say, things, yeah. Right? I was gonna say I think since it came out. I, I don't think I've seen it since. Since so, the nineties, uh, man. Yeah. With that memory so, of yours, I'm sure you can remember it 
fairly well, but oh, I I can tell you though. If I had to, I could sit here right now and tell you the whole movie. Well, I'm sure the plot. I'm gonna do that. But oh, the, yeah. it's quoting the lines to people that's always the most fun, you know? <laughs> oh, well, there there are certain ones. You want to know what the most annoying you. sound is in the world is? <laughs> Here, I'll say this one. Um, key lines to remember will be Deck 15, Section 21 Alpha. Um, it'll be installed on Tuesday. <laughs> and... Um, this is revolting. I hate this. Do you want more? <laughs> Do you want more? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Those are, some things, those are those three are some lines to remember. Out. All right. Yes. We got a whole season of Deep Space Nine to get through to remember if you remember those correctly. But okay. we'll have to come back and re- we'll, revisit that. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Um, so with that, since we've now kind of transitioned into movies, I did want to take some time and use this last bit of our show to talk about the passing of Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols, who, of course, played Lieutenant Nyota Uhura on the original Star Trek series. Right. So she passed away on Saturday, July 30th. Um, So while we were actually recording our regular show, um, yeah, she had passed away. Obviously, Nichelle was not just um, an actor on this show that we love so much, but she was actually, you know, the full legendary icon. She's had an acting career that was fully, you know, in full force for 45 years before she finally retired. She did a lot of other things besides just um, appearing in Star Trek and voicing her character in various animated iterations of the character. Right. Um, But, yeah, she was... I don't know how else to describe her. She is the the legend. She is the icon. She was the living embodiment of the forward progressive notion that Gene Roddenberry had when he originally started Star Trek. Right. So now, have you watched any of the original series at all? I have never sat down and watched any episode from beginning to end. I've seen clips. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen the famous kiss that she has with Kirk. You know, that Mm. first... uh, well, I guess race. It's is the it? first interracial kiss. It's the first kiss. interracial kiss between a black man and white woman. That's a very. <laughs> it, it, well, and I have to say it this way white because. White man and a black pe- woman, you mean? What you did I backwards. say? You said black oh. man and white woman. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Switch that, reverse we know, it. We know what you meant. We know what you meant. Yes. But it was, it's an important distinction because there are several people who, as soon as you say this first interracial kiss, they're going to. You know, Poindexter's fingers pop up. Actually, it was the yada yada yada. No, okay. And so then the debate goes into what do you consider interracial and all the other stuff. And that's like, even with all that, let's just drop it all that away. Like that's not important. We know sure. that what they mean is black and white, especially in the context of the '60s and in the United States at the time. Right. So it is considered the first interracial kiss for those reasons, even though there is some contention between even the actors themselves. Um, Michelle says that the kiss, you know, did in fact legitimately happen. Shatner says, unfortunately, it didn't. Um, he, he, has, he has said that it, while he wished it was true, wanted it to be true, whatever, that in the episode, it doesn't actually happen. So you, that's up for debate. Um, I know I've watched the scene and the way that he moves and the way the camera moves when you when you watch the scene, 
I can see why that's kind of up for debate, because in one scene, it looks like they do, but then as the camera continues to move, kind of looks like maybe they didn't. I'm going to chalk it up and give it to him because I want it to be so. So there, that's why I said That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would certainly say from my recollection of the kiss, it is certainly very awkward. It's one of those – it's not like they really went for it. Like, oh, we're going to surprise right. our audience with this. It was more like a, hey, blink and you miss it <laughs> kind of yes, it's, moment. Yes, it, it was a very quick thing. Like the lead-up to it was prolonged. Right. But then when the actual time for the kiss happens, it's it was a very quick scene, and yeah. they do cut for the commercial break and all that stuff. So, you know, you have to kind of really watch it, slow it down a few times. And again, even I've watched it, and I've thought, Either way, this argument could work. Right. But I'm going to chalk it up because I just like it being on Star Trek and being, <laughs> being first. So I'm going to say yes. Even, yeah. if, even if it's a fan theory, it's going to be a fan theory you hit, stick to. Yeah. Yes, this is one fan theory that, I, fan theory that I'm going to stick behind. Gotcha. I, honestly, I mean, I think it's gone into the cultural zeitgeist enough that yeah. let, let Star Trek have it. <laughs> yeah, at this point, that's what I say, too. It's like, yeah, it's happened. I mean, there are even people who will point out the fact that even on Star Trek, there were other, there was another interracial kiss that happened before that, and it was between Uhura and Nurse Chapel. They were celebrating in the moment. It's more like a friendly, you know, I don't want to say girls' kiss, but that's essentially what it was. They were talking about something and they were kind of just being excitedly whatever celebrating in the back and it's more like a friendly peck on the cheek lips whatever real quick nothing major you know whatever but some people are like actually that that would have been the first one I'm like shut up is that Again, the character played by is it Majel Barrett right yes that's who yes. played later Waxana okay right yes. right and yes. married Regine Roddenberry okay yeah 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 yes. um exactly. Yeah, uh, my only real history with um, Michelle is, uh, <laughs> this is going to be the strangest reference I'm sure you'll hear, but um, she appeared in Snow Dogs as Cuba Gooding Jr.'s mom. Yes, she did. And I don't know why that's the movie that I first saw her in, but that is. I don't know how I came to know that, that was her. I just, <laughs> at some point in my life, I was looking up the cast of Snow Dogs and Cuba Gooding Jr. And, oh, Nichelle Nichols is from Star Trek and learned about her more from her being in that film than anything else. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I don't even remember all the she, details of Snow Dogs. I don't remember. Movie, but I remember I that remember. she was in it as his mother. Like, at the very beginning and the very end, she makes an appearance, basically. So. Well, she began her career... Um, she was a, a, a singer first, a singer and a dancer first, and she was discovered by none other than Duke Ellington in her teens, and he brought her in to, you know, be a part of his singing group, whatever, and then she finally got her first art in acting in the movie Porgy and Bess. So right. that was in the fifties. So I've never seen that movie, but it makes me want to go and watch it just to kind of like, you know, you can just see how people kind of progress from first starting, you know, role ever to who we know them as now. Right. Um, now, you know, of course we know that she went on to do Star Trek and everything else, but one thing that people may not know of, about her is that, Shortly after Star Trek ended, the show, when the show ended, um, she got involved with NASA and partnered up with them to form a um, 
an affiliated group that was all about um, recruiting people to join NASA, in particular women and uh, minorities. And so the group was called Women in Motion, and she did end up um, helping raise their recruitment. They said that in six months of her working with them, recruitment went from a couple of hundred a month to like some 15, 1600 a month. Right. Just because of her efforts. She is directly responsible for recruiting the infamous Dr. Sally Ride into the NASA program. And um, Dr. Mae Jemsen, who became the first uh, black woman in space, um, also credits Nichelle Nichols with her ultimate getting into NASA and then making it into space as well. So a lot of people directly owe their association, their participation in and subsequent careers in science and in um, with NASA and all of it to her, to her efforts. So there are some people who feel like, you know, we shouldn't do certain things because people are just because of an actor or whatever, but she took her role and went and did something incredibly positive with it and got a lot of people their start in in sciences and so forth and we wouldn't have a lot of that if it wasn't for her efforts so um that's another reason why uh, i definitely think that she should be shouted out and appreciated because she didn't just portray it she then tried to live it and there's very few people who actually do that and can't do that right yeah yeah it definitely sounds like uh she took the star trek experience and was able to leverage that for NASA and other things. Um, yeah, I, I, like, did she? What, what other what other films or shows would I know her from? Yeah. What, what, what was well, her career like? So she did, like you said, she did Snow Dogs. Of course, we know that she did um, Star Trek as well. She voiced. I don't know if you ever watched Gargoyles or not. I loved that cartoon as a kid. Right, but. Uh, she was also the voice of Elisa Maza's mother on Gargoyles. She played the character of Diana Maza. And so that was just one of those, like, if you, like, I remember watching it and being like, I know that voice. And it took me a while <laughs> to place who it was. Right. But, um, yeah, it was definitely her. And it was a recurring role for her. She did that a couple of times there for them. So, you know, Gargoyles is already just full of, Star Trek voices. Riker is the voice of Xanatos. Um, um, Kate Mulgrew, Captain Janeway, was the voice of Titania on the show. Um, Brent Spiner, who was Data, was Puck. Uh, Avery Brooks, he played a character on there. He was a, an alien who uh, had set up home base on like Easter Island, and that's what those... <laughs> the giant Easter Island head carvings. <laughs> right. His character is supposed to be the inspiration behind uh, those things. Um, <laughs> Michael Dorn, of course, Worf, he was on uh, Gargoyles. He plays Goliath's brother on uh, Gargoyles. And, of course, you can't forget about Deanna Troy herself. Marina Sirtis was on there as uh, Demona. So, I mean, it was just like, they basically just got off work and just stayed in the Paramount sound booth. I'm like, you know what? While we're here, let's that just knock like out exactly this. what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's just knock out this show real right. quick, you yeah. know? So, uh, it, it's, I, I always love it when, you know, you find out stuff like that because it's like, yeah, their whole, yeah, basically the whole cast at some point or another, except for Picard. I don't think Patrick Stewart ever shows up on Gargoyles, but the rest of them were on there at some point. 
Right. Um, but as for Nichelle, again, she did Porgy and Bess in the 50s. She did, um, uh, there was a Tarzan movie. She was, I think there was two Tarzan movies that she was in. She did a one of those exploitation movies way back in the 70s. She only did one. Um, and then other than that, she kind of just, you know, stayed in this just recurring character or playing herself in, uh, shows and things like that. She also returned to, um, the stage and was doing more theater work as she moved away from Star Trek and then like doing things in between Star Trek productions because they suddenly went into this string of Star Trek movies. You know, there were six movies with the original cast that all came out between the, you know, uh, 70s all the way through to like yeah the the last one came out in 89 or 90 something like that right so uh and that was the last one that she was in she was not in generations unfortunately i don't know why she wasn't in generations but i mean i guess they couldn't get everybody back right so but yeah i mean she just kept popping up and things and then also she had a great you know singing career she's released multiple albums you can find those albums on spotify right now if you want she also wrote a couple of books uh, that she, and one of them was basically about her time, you know, coming up through Star Trek and the difficulties she had initially with the show. You know, um, she talks about her her contract negotiations with Gene Roddenberry and how that got them into some hot water. And so the story that she relates there is basically that Gene Roddenberry offered her a contract of um, I think it was like a thousand dollars an episode. And this was more than some of the other cast members were getting. And they still honored the contract for a while. But then the production studio was like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Then when her contract came up, they renegotiated and it made it to where she was then getting $140 a day. So initially this seemed like a setback, but then they realized that she would actually be making more money but only if she was required to be on set and filming for all seven days that they filmed. Right. So this is when things started to get a little bit more, you know, testy for because they wouldn't always require her for. They started being very selective about when they required her. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that caused a little bit of pushback for her. And she talks about how, you know, she started to think about leaving the show, um, especially after the first season. And, uh, she tells again a very famous story about how just when she had kind of mustered up that courage to leave the show, she was visited by none other than Martin Luther King Jr. And she told him that she had been planning to leave the show and he convinced her to stay. He told her about how important her being on the show and what her representation meant and how she couldn't walk away from that, couldn't give it up. And after talking with him and thinking about it, she did decide to stay with the role, stay with the show and, you know, kind of the rest is history. Yeah. So. Wow. I had no idea that Martin Luther King Jr. and Star Trek once intersected. Oh yeah. And then that story continues because apparently uh, another famous person tells the story of, they were watching Star Trek as a kid and they had, you know, never seen the show before it comes on and they see her and they weren't paying attention to anything else. They were just paying attention to her. First time they'd ever seen a black woman on a show who wasn't a maid or some kind of servant or help or whatever. And they were just 
totally taken away by this, totally excited by this, and kind of solidified for them that they wanted to be the next iteration of that. They wanted to be uh, a star like that, someone who wasn't a, you know, again, wasn't a maid, wasn't a servant, wasn't anything like that, was, was something bigger and better. Goes on to have pretty spectacular career, and however you feel about this individual, you can't deny that they are absolutely famous, right. and that would be, of course, none other than Whoopi Goldberg, who was also <laughs> on Star Trek as Guinan, right. yeah. of course, and she recently reprised that role of Guinan in uh, Star Trek Picard. So it just kind of keeps going beyond just inspiring other actors to continue to act and be actors in general. She's also done this with the with the NASA space program. So a lot of contributions from this one person and people who can directly trace their career paths, their life paths, all back to her influence. Right. Wow. Man. Didn't know we'd lost. I know, right? Like, yeah. that's the thing. It's, it's so weird how, like, this person is here and we hear them, you know, they have these opportunities to tell these stories and whatever else, but we never really listen to all of it. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're, they've passed. Right. And we don't have an opportunity to really kind of talk with them about it again. And I'm thankful that we have all of the various websites, you know, you know, Wikipedia, YouTube, Memory Apple, all these things, all these sources that you can go to, even her own webpage itself, and you can find just kind of a, a brief biography. You can find links to um, interviews that she's given and just talks about her overall, you know, history and the things that she has not only experienced, but also that she influenced. And I think that that's just really cool. And I would really encourage people to do so. And if you have not heard Nichelle Nichols sing, I will say you are depriving yourself. Oh. I've listened to her um, albums. I've also she also sings on the on uh, the original series. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't heard it, you should go listen to it. She has a very nice voice. Um, I would say listen to her albums over just that little snippet that you hear on uh, the original series, because right. obviously that was like a weird. They're you know having to sci-fi up a song. So it sounds kind of off a bit, yeah. but if yeah. you go and listen to her albums and stuff, she actually does sound very nice. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I always thought even when I first saw her, I always thought, I mean, not in terms of voice, just, I thought she was lovely. She, you know, Hollywood actress, beautiful. Um, I'm not surprised that she started as, as singing and, you know, moved on from there. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I'll have to, Look her up. <laughs> yes, you'll have to look her up. And I might even, you know, we might revisit this a little bit on subsequent other episodes of our show, give you a little snippet of Nichelle singing or something like that. Hopefully gotcha. we don't, you know, get... Is there any particular you know, song of hers that is, is well known as being one of her songs? Or um, I don't I don't think so. A lot of the uh, albums I listened to were, were her singing, like, covers of other songs. So I think that was kind of just the path that a lot of um, singers, artists were on back then. That seemed to be a very common thing for them to do is pick famous songs and just kind of make a an album of a, like a hit list, you know? Yeah, covers. Um, yeah. So she does she does that, and um, she does write her own music as well. There are her own songs mixed in, but I think what you'll probably Anybody who's not familiar with her, you'll probably gravitate towards those covers first before yeah. you get to the other stuff. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. So. Gotcha, gotcha. 
so yeah, she she definitely had a very interesting, colorful life. You know, there's even the story of how she was originally a romantic interest of Gene Roddenberry himself. So, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, that so man is that. is female coast is female uh, actresses, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he certainly wasn't um, wasn't shy about what he liked <laughs> and who he liked. So, yeah, the casting couch is a thing for a reason. Uh, well, I'm hoping that it wasn't necessarily like that. The way it's told is that they were actually involved for a bit before it finally ended, Good. and then he eventually met his met his wife later, who would later become his wife. Gotcha. Angel, so, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But it is sad to hear of her passing. Of course, um, she we was 89 years old. Right. And what was it that she passed from? Was it uh, natural causes, old yeah. age. Okay. Now, she did have a couple of health um, ailments in her later years, but at 89, that's to be expected, I would assume. You know? Right. Um, I think she was in the early stages of dementia mm. as well. Um, I know that she maintained her friendships with pretty much all the actors from Star Trek. She was the best lady at uh, George Takei's uh, wedding. Uh, <laughs> he tells that story very well as, you know, that uh, she did not want to be the best woman. Cause you know, they have the equivalent of, you know, from best man to best woman. She didn't want to be the best woman. She wanted to be the best lady. So they changed it for her. Um, so yeah, I mean, she maintained those friendships all of her life, all, right. of her, all the rest of her life, you know? So I think that that's also speaks volumes about a person that you can maintain friendships under some that were initially started under some rather grueling circumstances. Not only are you working long hours, but she was feeling an additional strain because there was a lot of, you know, well, hate regarding her being a black woman on the bridge of the enterprise sitting right behind Captain Kirk and having the rank of Lieutenant and could potentially be in command of the enterprise, you know, like all these things, you know, could have happened. And there were a lot of people who did not, not appreciate that. Yeah. Even to the point that the studio, they later found out the studio was hiding a lot of her um, fan mail and stuff. They told her about the hate mail, you know, didn't give it to her, but they told her about the hate mail, but they did not tell her about her fan mail. And she what? eventually found out about it. Uh, that was another reason why she was considering leaving the show. She felt like even the execs were against her. Aw, so. that's just... What? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, looking back now, I mean, we, we say how, you know, how outrageous, how silly, how stupid, you know, but a lot of these things were about control, and if you can, you know, control a person to think a certain thing, then obviously you can get certain things out of them. Right. And that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, you know, right. so... Well, I just I just looked it up. She did die of heart failure, so you're right. Sounds like just kind of natural causes, nothing in particular yeah. that really, you know, yeah. came upon her. Um, and uh, apparently, there's an asteroid that was named after her, six eight four one zero Nichols, and mm -hmm. uh, Robert Heinlein, A. Heinlein. I've never read any of his books, but he's a science fiction author. He dedicated the novel Friday to her. I don't know what the story is there. I'm just reading on her Wikipedia page about that. So. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, her legacy will live on. Absolutely, it will. And there's actually a petition going around right now to name the Artemis One rocket after, um, 
Michelle Nichols. And the Artisan so Rocket is? It's going to be used in NASA's um, space program potentially to send people not only to explore the moon, but also to Mars if, everything works, if everything works out. Ah. It's projected to land... Projected to land on um, the moon in 2024. Gotcha. 2024, 2025. It's coming up is basically what I'm saying. Okay. It, ha- it does not have an official name yet. So that's why there's this petition going around. Just mm-hmm. recently started to name it um, after Nichelle. So gotcha. whether they're going to name it Nichelle or Uhura or whatever... And remind me what Ahura's role on the start on on the Enterprise was. She was the she was the communications officer first right. and foremost. Yes, that's right. She had to know all these languages. I remember exactly. Was it? I guess I remember her the role as in the film, the the more recent J.J. Uh, um, Abrams film. She knowing languages, but uh, yes. yeah, I feel like. Well, I was going to say if it was like the navigation person but that's as soon as i was thinking about it i was like no she wasn't navigation that was someone else but never mind anyway yes if we can name uh the rocket if there's a petition out there one of those things where nasa gives you a chance to name name something that sounds like a good good option to choose from yeah i feel like she would be a great choice and i feel like they should name it nichelle not uhura simply because oh yeah one is the character and one is the person and yeah yeah no you don't name it after the character the character yeah, no, I totally agree. Like the Apollo, yeah. no one ever played Apollo that we remember who played Apollo. It's actually, it, actually, in an well, episode of Star Trek, there no, was. I'm, I'm talking about like in ancient in ancient yes, history. I um, understand. Anyway, yeah, Michelle is is the proper proper option. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I would definitely say, especially considering her contributions to NASA itself over the course of her life, I feel like it would be incredibly fitting for them to name it after her and let that um, go on out there. But yeah, that's what's going on right now with at least her name anyway. So the petition is live. You can sign it. All you have to do is do a search. It's I found it uh, quite easily by doing Artemis, NASA and petition and i found it and okay. yeah so it's really not that hard at all i've already signed it so yeah <laughs> you're biased obviously. yeah absolutely <laughs> gotcha. well once again we are kind of here at the end of our our show i hope everybody enjoyed that but before we close it out david do you have anything else you would like to say about anything we've talked about in the show deep space nine yeah, no, I, uh, I'm glad we were able to take this opportunity to talk about Michelle a little more. Um, it's been a week or so for us. When this episode comes out, it'll probably be about two weeks since her passing. Uh, so I feel like this is a, our first opportunity to really get a chance to talk about her. This is a perfect opportunity yeah. simply because it's the middle of our two season or from season two to three. Um, like I, I, Leonard Nimoy, when he passed away several years ago, oh, you know, man. I know that was kind of a big deal, and yeah. gosh, what's his, uh, who plays Kirk? Um, William Shatner. Yeah, I mean, that dude's like 93 or something, right? Like 91. Dude's still kicking, I still, I see an ad on YouTube, he's doing some, something, and. Yeah, and so he's... There, there are only three of them left now. There is William Shatner, Walter Koenig, and George Takei. They are the only three original remaining cast, members right? of yeah. the original cast, yes. Gotcha. 
I have a feeling that George Takei is the one who's holding out as like the last one to go. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's also eighty nine, I believe. Right. So yeah, he's got a little, you know. I mean, yeah, Shatner's the oldest. Right. Shatner is the oldest. So and then yeah, George Takei was the youngest, I believe. So, um, yeah, they've got. It's not like this. At the same time, I'm saying this like you know, there's an absolute age cap that once they hit it, they're all gonna pass, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they're all just um, they're there, yeah, you know. And I'm glad to see that they're you know some of them are still hanging around. But it will be a sad day, unfortunately, when they're all finally gone. Yeah, yeah, you know. True. So it will, but unfortunately, yes, it will happen. Um, and I correct myself, Walter Koenig is um, 85 years old. So, I mean, he is the youngest, gotcha. but he's 85 years old. So. And who was, did he play? What was his character? He was Pavel Chekhov. Chekhov, right. Yes, he was the weapons officer on yeah. on the ship. And then, of course, George Takei was the... Um, navigation officer. Navigation officer. Yeah. So what's so interesting to me um, about them, of course, is that, like I said, you know, you've got Walter Koenig at 85, William Shatner is 91. Um, oh, George Takei is also 85. Just looked him up real quick. Um, but I say all that because you have Patrick Stewart, who is just, you know, he's just as spry as ever and rolling around out there. And, and yeah. you know, you don't even really think about it. But he's 82. Yeah. You know, so they're all like right there in the yeah. same age group. So I just find that very interesting, you yeah. know, so um not saying I want any of them to die, but <laughs> there it is. I don't think that was the implication. <laughs> okay. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but yeah, they can, they certainly have several, you know, several years left in them in, in my opinion. You know, right. So yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it does show the passage of time though. Yeah. Yeah. There's something something so jarring about how you you can watch them on you know Star Trek or whatever and you know just that's it you know you turn the episode off you don't even think about it and then something will happen and you'll see them again and you're just like oh god I forgot how old you got yeah. <laughs> you know it's just like oh man I just I just watched you last night and now you're like yeah. 40 years older well I I, I, I don't want to drag it out too much longer because we're getting ready yeah. to go it just it just it I think it really brings home though like when I think of Star Trek the original series being from the 60s like gosh that was least 30-ish years before I was even born. So part of me thinks of it as like ancient history on some level. And then to know that the actors and actors are still alive and you can watch things like I I saw William Shatner, like I said, in that, in 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 the ad I saw, I saw him on something else recently. Like, it's just, it's jarring. It's, yeah. it's, it is, it's just one of those things about the pass of time when people pass away, famous figures in particular, it just, you know, things change and yeah, nothing lasts yeah. forever. I mean, the yeah. show, the original series began in 1966. So, I mean, that's what, this is 2022. So that's 50, 56 years. Yeah. 56 years that show first came on and it's spawned all of this stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's multiple generations. Like that was, again, that was 1966. I was born in 86. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the show was a full 20 years old by the yeah. time I came around. Yeah, my parents you know? were born in, 90, in 64, so they were – I know my dad has said he watched the original show when he was a kid. So, yeah, it's it's 
it's kind of surreal hearing you talk about it when you were a kid and knowing my dad could say the same thing about the original show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they had two whole generations of kids, you know, before all of this other stuff, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's just crazy to me that that, I mean, that's, but that is the absolute truth of the show. Yeah. And I tell people all the time when they're like, when I find someone, they're like, oh, I've never watched Star Trek. I'm like, it's been around for almost 60 years. How in the world have you managed to not watch any of it? Like, how is that possible? Right. Like, it'd be different if it was like a one-off show from the 60s and there was no more after that. But it's got new episodes now. Right. How Have you not watched it? Have you not watched <laughs> it? It's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, yes, we do have to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> And so, as always, I will just say thank you all for listening and joining us for this episode of The Fire Caves, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I promise we will be returning to our regularly scheduled content with Season 3. Just be patient. We had to get this um, other things out of the way. And also, we needed to talk about Michelle. So I hope you yeah. enjoyed that. And um, she, she's gone, but definitely not forgotten. A legend like that will definitely not be forgotten. And we will continue to bring her up and reference all of them at some point right. I'm sure yeah. so um, but yeah until next time take care of yourselves thanks guys <laughs> <laughs>